Welcome to another moment with Eric Fleming. This is Eric Fleming. And uh, this is the 75th podcast that I've done. And uh, on this one, I want to get real kind of personal with it. Right? Because all my life, when I was younger, I used to, I used to love, right? I, I, I fell in love with politics early on. And I wanted to be such a part of it, you know, because I felt that through politics, through public service, you can really, really impact some change and really change some dynamics for people, and especially black people, right? I mean, I really, really was feeling that. And, um, you know, it was like when I was younger, it was about just being, maybe being one of those faces in the encyclopedia about being president. And then that changed to um, using that power to do something positive for black people, right? And then, as I got older, even, got into school, college, and saw how, you know, there's, you know, the philosophies and that and public service was the highest aim of mankind. And, and uh, you know, do no harm. All those kind of thoughts, right? It just made me get into it even more. And um, I really thought in an altruistic kumbaya kind of way that I could step forward and um, be that person that could make an impact right could really shake some things up I don't know why I thought that other than that's what I wanted to do right and to some extent I still believe that but I've been scarred a little bit you know I am very blessed and fortunate to have actually had an opportunity to try um, to be actually in a position for almost a decade be a voice for the voiceless, right? To be that person that brings forward issues, even when folks don't even think these issues are really that serious, until you talk to people who are impacted by them, right? And so, all of this has been a fascinating journey for me. It's been tough, it's been heartbreaking in some cases, it's been frustrating, but it's been very educational. And you used to sing them songs, I'm just a bill, I'm only a bill, right? You learned on Saturday morning. And you realize there's a little more than that. You know? It's not as cut and dry as that. Which it was. But, you know, a lot of times legislation is not passed by the merit of the legislation, but the merit of the legislator presenting it. Right? So, I say all that to say this. 50 in my lifetime is when every black person in the United States has been allowed to vote in every every state. Right? 
that the federal laws protects that constitutional right. That was what the Voting Rights Act was all about. It's supposed to give full protection under federal law. They would put teeth in the amendment, the 14th Amendment, to guarantee the right to vote. And so during that time, you had the second main ascension of, and the largest ascension of black elected officials. The first one, of course, was during Reconstruction. That was literally a decade, <laughs> right? And that was it, you know? And so that's when all the Jim Crow and segregation and black codes and all that stuff really kicked in to try to make sure that black folks never got a taste of that power again, right? So you fast forward now, where we are 54 years after the Voting Rights Act passed. And uh, as one recording artist would say, you might ask yourself, what is, uh, what has been the result of all that? You might ask yourself, what, where, what have we gotten out of that sacrifice where is the tangible results right well in one sense we have created wealth for black people in some jurisdictions better than others in the current city where I live Atlanta this was the model Right. Mayor Jackson became a mayor of a major southern city in the 70s, 1974, 75, something. And immediately, he went toward the expansion of the airport as the vehicle to open the door for black wealth. Because he understood that the black political gains cannot be sustained effectively without black economic gain. Right? Because just like the white power structure is set up where white politicians get their donations from white businesses and white millionaires and billionaires and that's what this whole Citizen United thing was about and everything, you know, even to the point where they defended it, that it is donations are freedom of speech. Right? So understanding that, then you have to understand that for black people, the lesson that we needed to learn for Reconstruction, one of the very important lessons, is that in order to sustain the black political gains that we get this time, we had to have our set of black donors, our black millionaires writing us checks, our black companies sending us PAC donations, right? Sustaining us. And the agenda we're setting forward to protect our people and our rights. So that's what made, and Atlanta was that city. So much so. And I want people to understand how significant it was. There have been only two U.S. cities that have hosted the Olympics. The Summer Olympic Games. You know, the Winter Games is one thing, right? That's a major achievement, don't get me wrong. You know, as far as, you know, Salt Lake City, Lake Placid, uh, that means something for the Winter Olympics. But the Summer Olympic Games, that's the biggie. 
that's the one that the, the, that's the one that garners the most attention and all the legends that you hear about, right? So there's only been two U.S. cities that's had one: Los Angeles and Atlanta. And Maynard Jackson was alive to see that happen. As a matter of fact, he was the mayor again when that happened. And so, people need to understand that background to understand why I'm so frustrated. <laughs> right? Because we, we live in a world, man, where we can't take anything for granted anymore. I don't know why people do, but they do. I don't get the logic behind it, but it is what it is. People take for granted what we have. And it's a shame, really, because just as easy as it was taken away in the 1870s, the late 1880s, early 1880s, can be taken away now. But black folks feel they've made it now, right? And especially in Atlanta, where you had that development of wealth, you had that development of political power established to the point now where it's like it's a foregone conclusion that the mayor and the majority of the council members are going to be African American. The city is not really that black, right? It may be 55% black. Right? But it is majority black. And so, you know, people people feel as though that they're in those positions now. They're entitled to those positions. And, uh, and it's really only a select few of the black folks, the, the self-anointed talented tenth, as I call them. <laughs> self-anointed tenth, I don't know about talented. Right? That, um, They feel that they're the ones that should be always elected. And it's a limited pool of who can step forward. Right? And, you know, some people will agree with that. Some people think, yeah, you can't just have anybody. It's true, you can't just have anybody. But you can't just be a select few either. It's a democracy. It has to be a balance. And you can set a, separate the wheat from the chaff pretty easy if you pay attention to what people say and do. Now, if you get caught up in the hype, you might end up getting a bad politician or two. Can we say President of the United States Donald Trump, right? But... For the most part, we get people to actually care, right? And I'm saying this to say that the majority of the people, well, I can't even say that really in Atlanta. I could say that in Mississippi, but to an extent. I could say it definitely about the black people. But the majority of the black people in Mississippi that are elected really want to do the right thing. Some may not know what to do, but those who don't know what to do and they're willing to listen are light years ahead of those who try to cover up their ignorance and create more of a problem, right? But spending most of my adult life there, I can guarantee you 
that the majority of those black people that ran for office, that have served in office, only wanted the best for the people that they represented. And if they got something out of it, cool. You know, you should get rewarded for doing good work, right? Whether it's being reelected over again or moving to another arena where you can still do good, right? That's okay. But, you know, if you, I, I'm, I'm from the old school adage that there were two types of politicians, rich ones and honest ones, right? And, you know, some people don't ascribe to that. That's fine. But I do because I haven't seen it any other way. You know? And, uh, and I've always said anybody that's a billionaire in America has got, got dirt and maybe blood on there. Definitely dirt. <laughs> it doesn't clean about them at all. It is what it is. You know? People can take offense to that. That's fine. But here's what it is. But in Georgia, I can't. In Atlanta, I definitely can't say that. And in Georgia, I can't. I haven't been here long enough. But from what I've seen, what I've witnessed, what has happened to my wife, what has happened to people that I've really monitored how their races were going, around this time, I was like, where is the Atlanta that Maynard Jackson created. Really, John Wesley Dobbs, because that was Maynard's granddaddy. That was his vision. The Atlanta Voters League was his vision, his, his organization. Maynard, his grandson, eventually became the first black mayor. But, you know, I mean, that was the whole concept. That... This was, we were going to do something different. That Atlanta was going to be that place to show and set the example. And, uh, to be honest with you, it's become a disappointment. Because I don't understand. I don't understand how a city with the history that Atlanta's had in civil rights, with the awareness that people have had compared to other cities, right? Like say Jackson, Mississippi, for example. And I'm saying that Jackson people are, are, are not smart, but I'm just saying exposure. Because right, there's not too many Fortune 500 companies in the state of Mississippi altogether, let alone in Jackson, right? As compared to a city where Coca-Cola has been a Fortune 500 company forever. If Atlanta had no other Fortune 500 company, it would be Coca-Cola. be it. You know what I'm saying? But... Atlanta has had that Fortune 500 company, and they have several more. I mean, Home Depot, several more, right? And companies have moved to Atlanta, right? Invesco, for example. So, understanding the power dynamics of wealth and politics in a way that's a little different than most black people, especially in the South, Right? How is it now that we've got all these elected officials in Atlanta and the wealth disparity is the worst of any city in the United States? How is that? I keep in mind, Mississippi is the poorest state in the nation. Right? But when you look at the wealth disparity 
compared to the richest Mississippi, and maybe it's because it's the poorest state. But the wealth disparity between the richest Mississippian and the poorest Mississippian, especially in Jackson, Mississippi, doesn't compare to Atlanta. That's scary. Right? And so why do I why do I think that a city with the history of Atlanta, especially in black politics, has lost its way? We'll talk about that on the other side. city that was the greatest experiment in black political game it lost its way I'm talking about Atlanta and its surrounding suburbs right? at least the ones where African Americans are in political control why do I think because they got personal They got petty with it. And there was some naivete as far as what we should be looking for. We've gotten caught up in a cult of personality. Just like, it seems like America did when they elected Donald Trump, right? Black folks are guilty of that too. We've elected people based on how they made us feel instead of giving, some, uh, giving us something to think about. Right? And not only that, but the, the way that people go about their politics here is so personal. It's so, if you don't support me, I'm going I'm to hurt you so, so bad. If you run against me, I'm, I'm going to try to destroy the very foundation of your life. Right? It's almost, it's an affront for people to understand that it's a democratic process. That a, an elected official that runs unopposed has some good favor about them. Because for the most part, in a democratic society, that's not going to happen. Because not everybody is going to be satisfied with what you do, no matter how good a job you think you're doing. Not everybody will be satisfied. Somebody will disagree because that's the way democracy works. Not everybody is in agreement. And then you hash out these ideas, right? And then the people decide who they want. If the people decide they want to keep you, they do. If the people decide to go in another direction, they go in another direction. But it's stupid for you to take personal offense to them unless they campaign in a way where it is a personal offense where they feel the only way that they can beat you is to try to make it make you so bad that your mama won't even like you right your daddy won't like you. you know just try to make it so as that you're, you're a contemptible person as opposed to just dealing with the facts. And there are a lot of politicians in Atlanta that can be beaten on just the facts. Right? Just how they vote on issues. Um, because not, every, it's, you know, not everybody's monolithic, right? But you know, at the same time, a lot of these folks don't vote on issues that's beneficial to black folks. Let's be clear. There are a majority of black cities where a black business 
would have to beg, borrow, steal to, to get a city contract or a county contract. Right? It's... And how many black contractors are working at the Clark Atlanta University complex? Right? When they need construction work done, repairs and renovations, what's... How those, how's that money distributed, right? And they're private. <laughs> you feel me? So it's like... How does this personal attack politics really get... I mean, because... All the personal attacks are doing... It makes for entertaining social media. It makes for nice reality TV, so it's like the politics and the real politics of Atlanta can compete with the real housewives of Atlanta, right? Is he generated into that kind of stuff? Whereas it's like you don't even know, you forget even the substance of what the issue is. All you know is so and so doesn't like such and such, and there it is, right? And people are foul with it too. I mean, they want they want to dig into everything that you do, right? So any mistake you've ever made is going to happen. Any failure in your life is going to happen, right? But yet, these are the same people when you say, well, how do you feel about criminal justice reform? Oh, I'm for that. Why are you for that? Well, you know, I think people deserve a, I think people deserve a second chance. I think we don't need to be putting everybody in jail. I don't think we criminalize everybody. But if you run against that same person, And you got traffic tickets in Georgia. Well, in Georgia, traffic tickets are a criminal offense. It's not a civil. And, you know, supposedly it's not supposed to be on your background check, but yeah. <laughs> you're actually, if you don't pay the ticket right then, you're on probation. We've talked about that. They'll bring that out. Oh, well, they, you know, they, they got criminal... They, they got traffic tickets. But, you know, they'll... They, they use that... Anything. Somebody told my wife... Who is, bless the heart, run for... a you know, the legislature several times and ran for city council once. And some guy had the nerve to say to her, because she was wearing a sweater that had the New York Yankees logo on it. It's like, oh, you like the Yankees, but I can't support you for public office. That rock that you crawled out of to say that, go back in there. Go back in there. Or better yet, take your butt to an actual debate or a forum or actually read a book about what the legislature does or what any government agency does and realize how stupid that sounds to vote for somebody based on what kind of sweater they were wearing, right? What team they might support professionally I mean I know a dude got fired in Chicago for like wearing a Green Bay Packer tie to his job I think that was crazy but you know so we know people have those kind of crazy biases and stuff 
I mean, the governor of Georgia right now is a UT grad. He graduated from the University of Tennessee. He's from Rocky Top. He wears orange to football games. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I, you know, you got like the governor of Georgia. Yeah, he wasn't, he was, yeah. That's different. The black folks don't see it that way. If that was two black people running, the black person that went to UGA would be the one that went to Tennessee because that was more important. Not whether the fact the person that's running is qualified to serve the job. You can't get into that. That's too much thinking, right? So yeah, there's there's some responsibility on the voters. Because if you allow that kind of debasing kind of talk, if you allow people to why you over with their personality rather than the substance of what they're saying, that's on you. But you don't take the time for it because you don't think, in the back of your mind, you really don't think that you deserve the best. Now you say, well, I want somebody, but if it's something that you really, really want, you put time and effort into it. You try to figure out how best to make that work. If that's something you really, really want, right? Same goes with politics. To get the elected officials you want, you got to pay a lot of attention to what some of these folks, a lot of these folks are saying to you. I know that's asking a lot, but we're not asking you to do the job either. We're asking you to take some time so that when you show up on election day, it only takes you two minutes to make your decisions, maybe five, go through the whole ballot and do it. Because if you don't take that time, if you don't pay attention to what these people are saying, if you get caught up in all of this, this playing the dozens and and pearly white teeth crap, right? You're gonna get the government that's not in your best interest. You wanna get people that actually give a damn about what's going on in that community. And even if you say, okay, well, we voted for this person, he or she seems like they're good people, blah, blah, this, that, other. They ain't been involved in those scandals. Okay, cool. They ain't, they ain't, they ain't stole no money, they ain't cheated on their spouse. Okay, great. How many neighborhood meetings have they showed up? How many newsletters do they put out? How do they inform you about what's going on? When do you see them? Do you see them on a regular basis? Or do you see them only when it's time to vote for them again? How frequently is your interaction with these people? Because these people took the time out, and they took it serious. They took the time out to run for these positions. And every one of us that has run for a position has a strategy of how to get the majority of you to vote for us, right? First of all, you got to remember, we all have an ego because in our mind, we think that we can walk up to a group of people and convince them, I'm the person you need to vote for for this position. That takes an ego to believe that, right? How people control their egos is on them, but you got to have some type of ego, some type of confidence to step up to a group of people and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I need you to vote for me for this because X, Y, and Z, right? And so these same people who have this ego also have this mindset, this competitive nature, that they're gonna do what they gotta do to win, right? And they also have developed in their mind that 
that in, in thinking and believing they can win, a strategy to win, how they're going to get the majority of the votes they need, because all you need is 50 plus one. You don't need 100% to win. You get 50 plus one, you win, right? And so these folks figure out how they can get that coalition to get that 50 plus one. Now, where my fundamental problem is with that is the reckless, divisive nature in which people go about it strategically. But the reason why that's, that works is because the voters tolerate it. Right? If you say that person has not done their job because they didn't support this issue or they didn't do this, you totally disagree with their philosophy of governing, that's okay. When you start passing out letters that are a personal nature about that person, when you start trying to accuse them of being foreign agents, <laughs> yeah, Hillary, I had to throw that in there. I mean, or just anything. You accuse them of anything, right? Try to say that they're criminals, try to say that they Because first of all, if they're a criminal, they can't run for office. Let's be clear about that. If they committed a felony offense, they cannot run for office in any state in the United States. Right? If they committed a federal offense, certain states allow that. If you've served your time, they allow you to, they don't take away your rights to vote. Because the federal government doesn't take your right to vote away if you've done federal time. Once you've completed that, you can vote in a federal election. Right? But since states control the board of elections in their states, you committed a felony in a state, then you're not going to be allowed to vote. Right? Let alone run. If you can't vote, you can't run for office. Right? So, when people say somebody's a criminal, but they're on the ballot. You know that person's lying about that other person. If you have that basic understanding. But people do that all the time to really try to paint this picture about who the other person is, right? And here's the argument I have with that. And in some, you have to do comparisons in politics. Is contrasting styles and all that, especially if you're running against an incumbent, because an incumbent has a record, right? It's fair game. But one thing to remember to the extent of that is when you apply for a job, do you talk about the other people that are in the lobby waiting to be interviewed for the job? Do you go into the employer and say, hey, you gotta hire me because that dude with that gray suit over there and that flower tie, he ain't about nothing. He might be the only one close that you, and that might be the guy you're thinking about. But I'm going to tell you, you know, first of all, that tie ain't really silk. You know, that, that, that suit ain't really, you know, it's a wool blend. I mean, you know, he's a cheap dude, man. He ain't really, he ain't really as fly as you think he is. Do you actually do that in a job interview? No. Nobody goes to the job interview and trashes the other people that's in the in the waiting room waiting to be interviewed for a job or applying for a job, right? If you know somebody else is applying for a job online, you don't stick a little note in there and say, hey, if so-and-so's application comes your way, just throw it in the trash. Because he's trash. Or she's trash, right? Don't nobody do that. But they do when they ask for that job in public service. They trash the other person, right? Now, if you want to do a compare and contrast, right? Again, that's okay if it's professional, right? Now, if you're doing a compare and contrast, it's like that's a filthy dude or that's a filthy woman and I'm clean. No, that ain't cool at all. That's personal. But you got to know your crowd. 
Because if all your crowd looks like Pigpen and the person you run against look like Pigpen, you looking like Mr. Clean, I don't think that's a district for you. Just saying. You got to know who your audience is, right? You got to know if you're going to run for something, you got to know who the people are that you're trying to represent. You got to have some idea of what they want, right? But there's some people that they don't do that. They, they use the, their, their personality, their cult of personality to, to overshadow what's really needed and just wow and dazzle. And all we get is emptiness because you were so wild and dazzled you never really got into the substance of what that person was about. And then you find out they really didn't have any substance. But then it gets worse. And, you know, that's the challenge for the voters, right? Is that y'all got to pay attention. But the thing that gets worse is like then the candidates themselves go in on each other physically, right? They go in to a point where they want to literally destroy each other. They can't do anything else ever again in life. And you sit there and talk about other people like that. And, and, I, and I know I'm sounding kind of like I'm repeating myself, but I just, I'm stressing that. Because politics ain't personal. It's not. When people get personal with you, you get mad and get upset, but, the, but politics ain't personal. When it does get personal, it hurts, right? And so when people get hurt, they get angry, and when people get angry, it ain't pretty, right? But politics should not be personal. It's business. You're applying for a job. If you get the job, good. If you don't get the job, oh well. You can try to apply for the job when it's available again, well, you can move on with your life. If you've had the job and the people decide that they don't want you in the job no more, move on. Don't get angry at the people. Don't get angry at the person that beat you. Move on. You know? And I know that's hard to say when you got people that'll do anything to win. That'll steal yard signs, that will vandalize campaign offices, actually shoot at other candidates. Yeah, we've had that happen. Right? But all these scenarios I'm throwing out there leads to one thing and one one ultimate conclusion. That if the politics is degenerated into something personal and something debasing and crazy, then you're going to see results like the city that that showed the model for black that black political power can lead to black economic gain now has the worst income disparity in the United States. And we're talking about black people for the most part. Because everybody is so enamored with just having the position and having the title that they'll do anything to get that, but then won't do anything with it. You get the job and then you don't do the job. So that's painful, especially to those of us who depend on the government to do what needs to be done. That's black folk. So let me throw this out there so you understand how dependent black people are on government. Government is the highest employer of black people in America. And you've probably heard me say that, but let me stress that again. At all levels, federal, state, 
County Municipal. The government is the largest employer of black people in the United States. Didn't used to be that way, it is now. So even more so. And th these are just working, we're not talking about elected. So even more so, we need to be discerning about who we elect. We need to be more aware of who's running and how they're running. Right? We need to be more diligent in this process. Because right now, where I am in Atlanta, Georgia, in the, in the metro area, it's a sad, sad thing. It's very, very painful for me. Even more painful than dealing with the commander-in-chief that we have in the United States. And some people say the fool-in-chief or whatever. You can call him whatever you want to. But as abysmal as he is, It's even more so in local politics here in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area. And a change has to, has to come. A change in mindset has to come. A sense of entitlement has to be taken away. Because if it's not, that income disparity is going to get worse. Crime is going to get worse lack of other economic opportunities is going to get worse. Property values are going to keep going down in certain neighborhoods. Property values are going to go up in neighborhoods where they're trying to get rid of you. Right? There's so many things, so many things that are happening that the way that we go about our politics is a distraction to dealing with the stuff we need to deal with. The ineffective way we campaign generates into ineffective governance because and when you're looking at the bottom of the barrel to get your talent, whoever wins is not going to be the best person for the job, right? can be the dirtiest, who can be the loudest, who can be the most boisterous. Yeah. I just want somebody that can do the job. I, 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 I was at a debate this weekend. I listened to these professional politicians talking running for the U.S. Senate, U.S. Congress. I can tell you pretty much who I'm going to vote for or who I'm leaning toward based on what I saw. And the majority of the people that showed up are, I could say all of them, are good people. Only two of them are black out of seven people, but all them are good people. Right? And some have been elected to positions. But the reality is, cream rises to the top if you just watch it. If you don't get distracted by all this crap that's out there. Don't say, well, that person ain't got no signs. That person's signs might be getting taken by the opponent, right? Crazy as that is. Don't get caught up in that. Get caught up in what you're hearing and what you're seeing and what your discernment tells you. Because there's some people that sound too good. Right? But there are some people that are too good to be true and there are some people that are really, really that good. And again, you have to use your discernment to figure out who that is. All right.
But I got to cut this short. I got to cut this off. But that's kind of where my mindset is right now as to why we are not where we're supposed to be in Georgia politically. And that bothers me a great deal. And I'm, I really am restrained because I only have so much time to talk. And I've really pushed it. Right? But if y'all paying attention to what I'm saying, then, then pay attention to what these people are saying that are running. We deserve better. There's a legacy that needs to be upheld. And until we get back to that, it's going to be a lot of disappointments for generations to come if we, if we don't fix it now. I'll come back to this because it's something I, I really, really want to continue to get into. But for now, until next time. for listening to the podcast A Moment with Eric Fleming. If you are not a subscriber, please go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe now. We would love to have you join the A Moment with Eric Fleming family.